So 2 Kings chapter 5, and as we turn there, let us offer to the Lord a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful once again for this day where we can once again cease from our work, gather as your people, seek your face, and you show us your glory. And as your glory is revealed to us this day, Lord, I ask that we would follow in your footsteps like Naaman, and that we would have the ears to hear what you would have for us, Lord, that that these words of which I'm about to speak would be encouraging, whether we need encouragement and challenging where we need to be challenged, so that, Lord, you would be glorified in our midst. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, last week we were looking at this wonderful character of the person of Naaman, and we noted that Naaman was the least likely person on the face of the planet to encounter God. You know, and so we saw him go on a search for God as he had suddenly a great need. And so I thought to myself, hmm, maybe we ought to look at this guy. And then we saw why he searched for God how he found God, and how that all worked. We had to learn, and Naaman had to learn, that our own self-sufficiency is an absolute lie. That, oh, we might be self-sufficient for a season in our lives, but the time will come where we realize that we have nothing before God. Secondly, we, re- we learned through Naaman that the world couldn't help him. <laughs> you know, he had... Everything that the world could give him, and yet he couldn't be cured of his leprosy. So he goes to Israel and he meets Elijah, and Naaman learns that what he needs above all, rather than paying off the prophet, he needs a relationship with the living God. And that living relationship is found only on God's grace. So Elisha sends him down, won't take any money, doesn't even meet him, by the way. It goes down to the creek, which is the River Jordan, washes seven times, as we heard Jerry read, and he's cleansed. And so we said one of the ways why we're looking at this guy is because he's very much like many of our neighbors where we live, work, and play. They're smart, they're accomplished, they're successful, and they don't have really need for anything, much less God. And that was Naaman. And so we see here that Naaman met God. So we have to ask ourselves, have I really met God? Um, You might say, well, I'm in church, aren't I? Well, that's the second half of today's verse. When we get to Gehazi, we're going to look at this. Because what we're going to see here is Naaman, who's a pagan, who had absolutely no relationship to the Lord of the Bible at all, The Lord, at all, becomes a transformed follower. And Gehazi, who knew all the Bible, had all the training, was there all the time, had perfect attendance, what have you, and never was changed at all. So, let's look at this, and what do we learn? We want to know how how can we make sure we're not missing it. And that's what we're going to look at. So what we're going to see in this passage is evidences of a person who's following God and has met God. Evidences of a person who hasn't met God and how we can make sure that we're the first and not the second. (laughs) Okay? That's what we're going to look at. So first, 
the evidences of a person who's met God. The first evidence, there's four of them, first evidence is that this person has a radical change of mind about who God is. All right, We see that right off the bat in the second half of verse 15. And Naaman said, Behold, I know there is now no God in all the earth but the God in Israel. Notice, I mentioned this last week. If he had said, now I know your God is better than my God, that wouldn't have been a change of worldview. But that's not what he says. Okay? What he says is, there are no other gods but this God. There's only one true God coming from a very pluralistic culture. We're a very pluralistic culture today. A lot of roads lead to heaven. And a lot of roads to peace or nirvana or whatever the person is speaking about. So this statement that we're hearing today is as outrageous today as it was then. And vice versa. So I want us to recognize it's a change of mind. It's not an experience with the living God, even as powerful as the healing was. Okay? His experience, it's more about a change of mind. Because your feelings won't change unless your heart changes, and your heart won't change unless your mind changes. Tim Keller says it this way, your heart is not the seat of the emotion, it's the seat of your trusts. Your heart determines what you trust in, what you hope in, and what you live for. That's what essentially sets the course for all your thinking, all your feelings, and all your behavior. You can't have a heart change unless you change what you're trusting, and that means thinking, resting in some truth. Saying to yourself, I used to trust this, now I trust this. And that, my friends, takes a great deal of thought. And it's not just an emotional, mystical experience. It's a radical encounter with the word of God which transforms our minds, Paul says. So that's the first sign, a radical change of mind. Second sign is, a radical generosity. Notice what Naaman says in the second half of that verse. So accept now a present from your servant. Now, remember, Naaman had brought a boatload of material with him. I mean, a lot. We don't know how much in modern days, but he brought a lot of silver and gold, and it's listed in those first few verses. I encourage you to go back and read it. Because he had come down fully prepared to purchase his healing. And he didn't have to purchase it. It was free. You know? And so he comes back with his entourage. Now remember, Elisha didn't even come out to greet him. He's back there vacuuming the carpet. You know? And he sends him down. It really is comical. You know? Five-star general. Goes down to the creek, griping, you know, what have you. And he does what this backwoods prophet tells him. And he's healed. So he comes back and he says, accept this gift. Right? Please accept it. Why? Because he's giving out of joy. He's giving out of gratitude. And that's the mark of of a follower of God. We give to the purposes of God to the church and to others 
out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Because it's no longer our identity. It's no longer our self-worth. It's no longer our value. Our value is who we are in Christ. It's just money. Same thing with our time. Same thing with our ministry. It kind of, that change of mind brings a change of life, including our money. So there's a radical generosity. Notice in, in, in that, that last part of that service, so accept now a present from your servant. There's also, this is the third point, a radical humility. Look who this is. This is the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, all right? And, and those of you who served in the military know guys who get to that place are used to people listening to them. They give orders. He's used to people, you know, he says, jump. They say, how high? He's on the highest rung. Everybody served him and listened to him. And here he comes along and he says, please accept now your gift from your servant. Your servant. You know? I think it means more than anything indicating there's a real change in General Naaman. He's basically saying now, instead of your life for mine, my life for yours, which is the way of Jesus, which is the way of the Lord. You know, later on we're going to pray a collect, which is powerful, that the Lord would protect us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And those three influences is the way of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? And that way is the way Naaman used to live. Your life for mine. But now he's exhibiting my life for yours. My life to bless yours, to increase yours, to be poured out for you. I can think of no better example than the husband of Johnny Erickson Tata, Ken Tata. Ken met Johnny 30 years ago. He was a middle school teacher. Loved teaching. He was going to Johnny's church. And he was just captivated by her. She's a quadriplegic. You know? But if you know Johnny, you really get to know her and listen to her. She's just this wonderful, authentic, transformed gospel messenger. She's talented. She can paint better than I can write with her mouth. She's amazingly talented and she's a gifted speaker and he just fell in love with her. And he, for 30 years, has pushed her wheelchair, helped her get up in the morning. An assistant comes in and helps her get dressed and what have you. And he just is along her side. Now that he's a retired teacher, he just is full-time working for her ministry, serving her in an attitude of my life for yours. My friends, that's a radical humility as opposed to radical pride. And last but not least, certainly, the fourth point that we see in Naaman is that God is now central to every aspect of his life. All right? Naaman says to Elisha, Please, let your servant given, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. All right? So this is, this is legit. This is a true conversion going on here. But my Lord, may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. 
when my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I bow there also. When I bow down to the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha says, go in peace. What Naaman is doing is a couple of things right here. Number one, he's had an incredible transformation, right? And like when you go on a retreat, and we've all been on these, right? We've been on a retreat of some kind, and we've met the Lord in a new and refreshing way. You don't want to go home, right? You want to stay there and capture that in a bottle and keep it. And it just doesn't work that way. And Naaman says, it's not that I don't want to go back to those filthy pagans. You guys got it right. We thought we were right. You were wrong. And now I realize you're right and we're wrong. Okay? And what he does is he's going to go back. And he asks for two mule loads of dirt from Israel. That's strange, isn't it? Two dirt loads. Why? Well, it's, 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 it's obvious here that the temple of Ramon, or Rimmon, is this place where state affairs happened. And it came upon him sometime as the commander of the army of Syria that he would escort the king, be with the king. And the king would lean on his arm as he bowed to pray to Rimmon. And what all the commentators are saying is that when Naaman does this, he's going to go back and he's going to lay down some Jewish dirt on the floor as a testimony to everyone around him that he's not worshiping Rimmon. He's worshiping the Lord. Okay? Power, it's powerful. Don't miss this. All right? And so he's, he's, he's going back. He's not withdrawing from the world. He's going back saying, I, I don't want anything to, to do with my previous life, but I, I have to go back to my life, you know? As a matter of fact, I'm not, like so many American Christians say, I, I'm not going to keep my faith private. You know? People say, I have, a, I have a private faith. No, you don't. In the Christian world life, you have a personal faith, but it's not private. We're called to be the light of the world, salt of the earth. Salt is noticed. Light is noticed. It's not, you know, it's going to be something that's going to be noticed. And so he goes back, and he's saying through these actions, I love my country, but I don't worship my country. I worship only God. So he's trying to strike a balance. So you see, he's appealing to Elisha. And may the Lord forgive me when I kneel down, but I'm going to have dirt to show everybody that I'm, that I'm of the Lord here. <laughs> and he goes, does that work? And Elisha goes, that'll work. Go in peace. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I love it. So on the one hand, when you walk with the Lord, it gives you a humility that you never look down on anybody. That you go back to work, you go back to school tomorrow, you know the Lord. Some of your friends don't where you live and where you work and where you play. And they need to know the Lord and you're the only Bible that they're going to read this day. All right? And so if they are a 
Democrat and you're a Republican, they're not evil. If you're a, a Republican and they're a Democrat, they're not evil. If they're an independent, they haven't decided what they're going to do yet, they're not evil. All right? In this politically charged atmosphere, you talk to anybody who's not from this country, they don't get it. All right? This is a very uniquely American situation, and now it's really coming to a head. So we're going to love one another even if we disagree politically. We can do that. Right? We don't look down on people because that was me. I was a pagan like Naaman, and I am now I'm a child of God with a radical change of mind, a radical generosity, a radical humility, and all my life centered on the gospel. And so therefore, because I have that humility, uh, the gospel also gives me courage to speak as God gives me opportunity because, after all, the Lord of the universe loves me. So to help you with that mix of humility and courage, that's why we're walking through John this fall. That we'll learn how we can get people into a spiritual conversation and we're going to rediscover and discover a love for Jesus perhaps that we've never had before. And so you're going to get equipped so as we approach Christmas and we begin to pray about who we're going to invite Christmas Eve. After Christmas Eve, you can walk them through John with this, with this little booklet. It's awesome. And then in the, in the winter, we're going to do emotionally healthy spirituality. How do I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Would that describe you this week? Your pattern of prayer, your pattern, this is what we do in emotionally healthy spirituality, setting up rhythms of how we may walk together. And if we're still in COVID, we'll live stream it. Just join me. I'd love to have you. You know, it's going to be fun. And then next spring, we're going to talk about how do I love other people who I disagree with? How do I have emotionally healthy relationships? All right? Because as we say in that course, Jesus may be in your bones, but grandpa's in your body. Okay? Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. All right? Um, you know, and if you're like me, Gene Sutherland, you don't want in your bones. <laughs> you don't. He was a great guy in some respects. He was a mess. And the problem is that mess comes out of me. So we own it and we walk forward as people of God. So therefore, those are the four evidences, all right? Radical change of mind, radical humility, radical generosity, and a radical centering every aspect of my life on the grace of God. Okay? Now, let's look at the evidence of a person who doesn't get it. And he's in church every Sunday. All right? Gehazi, servant of Elisha. So he's living with Elisha, all right? He's following Elisha. And notice that Elisha, what got this started was Elisha wouldn't accept the gift. It wouldn't have been wrong for Elisha to accept the gift. But there was a pastoral reason why he didn't accept the gift. Because Naaman came down to buy his healing. And if he took that gift in any way, what would Naaman have thought? He paid for it. It's free. It's a grace. And that's what Naaman's trying to get across to Gehazi at the end there. Notice in verse 26, he says, Is it 26? I'm sorry. 
He's reprimanding Gehazi. Is this the time to make money? To take money except clothes, olive groves, vineyards? Is this the time, Gehazi? Okay, sheep, oxen, male servants, female servants. Is this the time, Gehazi? No, because he wants to know it's all of grace. But Gehazi doesn't share that conviction. All right. He pursues Naaman and comes up with a pretty shrewd story. I, I, I thought it was pretty good when I first read it. Wow, that's pretty good. It's a lie, but it's good, you know. These poor seminarians have come out of the hills, you know. Give my master, my master has sent me, give us some stuff. So he comes up with what he's got to give him. So he brings it back, and Elisha knows. Knows, where you been, Gehazi? I've been nowhere. Sounds like a 13-year-old, right? I've been nowhere. And so... Elisha pronounces God's judgment. And the leprosy that was Naaman's now becomes Gehazi's. Because he was reckless on the, leprous on the inside and it came evident on the outside. So how can we make sure we're not Gehazi as church-going people? All right? People who love Jesus. First, Gehazi's filled with pride. Look at what he says about Naaman. All right? Verse 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. Do you hear those words? That Naaman, that Syrian. He's identifying by his race. He's a racist here. He's talking down to him. This is pride. This is the, the exact opposite of Naaman's humility. All right? You know, Naaman comes and is humbled. But here, Gehazi is looking down on Naaman. He's self-righteous, incredibly proud. And brothers and sisters, that should never be named among us. Pride in looking at others and pride in the way we do this faith. We let this word decide for us how we live the Christian life, not my own intuitions and what have you. That's the first step. Because he's doing the, the Jewish faith on his own terms. That ought to be never named among us because he's filled with pride. Secondly, he's religious without the relationship with the living God. All right? Well, Naaman was a pagan, as I mentioned before, and he knew nothing about the Bible. Gehazi knew it probably inside and out. He heard the word of God, sat at the feet of one of the most famous prophets of all biblical history. Didn't impact him at all. Didn't change him at all. Didn't change his mind. He was religion without the grace. And religiosity without the grace of God, is worse than an unbeliever. He is all the things that Naaman is not. <laughs> all right? And none of the signs of a heart that encountered God. And so he missed it. And yet Naaman met God. Well, how can we be like Naaman? 
How can we make sure we don't miss it? No pride, no religion, but relationship with the living God. How can we get that? Well, I think we can learn about that <clears throat> if you look at the real hero of the story. Go back to the very beginning. Look at verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Who is this little... She's nameless. We don't even know her name. Here's what we know. She had been taken captive, captive and she's now a slave in Naaman's house, serving Naaman's wife. She is likely to have seen her parents killed. She's likely to have seen her siblings sold off to slavery to other areas of Syria. And so she's a slave in the Syrian household. And I want you to see that she's at the very bottom of social ladder. That you, you can't get any lower than she is. Number one, she's an Israelite. She's of the wrong race. Two, she's a female in a patriarchal society. Three, she, she is a slave. She has no money of her own. She has no possessions of her own. And last but not least, she's young. She's a little girl. The Hebrew word here indicates that she's a preteen. So she's probably 9 to 12, 13 max. All right? She has a dead end life. And who is responsible for this? The commander of the army of Syria. Whom she has to serve. What if that was you? Sitting on your cot at night. Thinking of your mom and dad. Your brothers, your sisters. And you got to bring this guy his coffee in the morning. And he gets leprosy. What would you do? Just. Finally, he's getting his, right? Does she do that? No, she doesn't. I'll dance on his grave. Nope, she doesn't do that. What does she do? Notice she doesn't say, hey, there's somebody in Israel who can heal him. She doesn't say that. Do you hear what she said? Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. There's concern here. There's love here. There's compassion here. There's caring. How can she do, how can that be? The only answer is that this little young child understood costly grace. Not cheap grace costly grace because all forgiveness which is part of grace costs you know if if you loaned a dollar from me i'd give it to you you know it's not much right and you lost that dollar and you came back and you said gene can i have another dollar i lost it i'd say ah sure 
It's just a buck, right? If you borrowed my truck and you crashed it, I'd be a little more upset, wouldn't I? Yes, I would. Why? It's more valuable. How much more valuable than my truck is this little girl's life and everything she's been through? How much harder would it have been for her to forgive General Naaman over me forgiving you for wrecking my truck? Think about it. See, she had to bear the suffering to forgive him. It all hinged on this. She could forgive him and bear the suffering and he lives. Or she could not forgive him and try to throw the suffering on him and he dies. And what does she do? She forgives him, bears her suffering. She radically changes and she loves him. And she's used of God in a mighty way. Dick Lucas, the rector of all uh, of St. Helens in London, in his sermon on this text, called it, She Paid the Price for Usefulness. If when you're wronged, you refuse to forgive, it might be satisfying for a little while to stay angry and to think about that person. But in the end, it's just going to turn you into a hard person that's useful to nobody. But she forgave him at a tremendous cost to herself and bore that suffering quietly, faithfully, living under the Lord, turned herself into somebody who was incredibly useful, compassionate, caring, empathetic, tender-hearted, wise beyond her years, who is incredibly useful to not only Naaman, but I'm sure to many others. That's why he was saved. That's why she's the hero. He had a suffering servant in his life. He had a servant, though he had wronged her, had forgiven him, and she bore that cost. Then he believed her word, and he was saved. That's the difference. That's how, and that's why, he met the living God. You have a suffering servant available to you. The ultimate suffering servant to whom this little girl points to. He also was separated from his father. And it was worse than any separation that this little girl felt from being separated from her parents. The world beat him, rejected him, tortured him. And upon the cross, he looked down at the, his torturers and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And his death is incredibly useful to each and every one who will embrace his truth and his grace and his word. And that's how you encounter God. So number one, brothers and sisters, grasp the costly grace of Jesus Christ for yourself as we walk into John this year. 
Are you going through a struggle right now? Are you suffering right now? Has somebody really wronged you? Pay the price of usefulness and forgive. What's, what's, what's fascinating about this little girl, she not only forgave Naaman, she obviously forgave God. What do we always say? God, why am I going through this? We do it. We've all done it, right? In the same way, if we want to be useful to the Lord, tenderhearted, empathetic, we need to pay the price of usefulness, just like her. But also, don't look at her just as a model. Look at her to the one to whom she points, our suffering servant. Number one, allow his amazing grace to transform you. We prayed it in Psalm 30. Weeping may come from the night, but joy will come in the morning. Did you catch it? I don't know if the men prayed that or the women prayed that, but I just, just I prayed along with you, no matter who it was. That's us. Radical change. Humility. Generosity with our time, talent, and treasure. And we can only do that if we look at the cross and what he's done. Because as we embrace him, he turns us inside out and makes us in something beautiful, useful for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful you have given us this incredible story over these past couple weeks, how we become believers and how we can live as believers. Lord, that we can live like Naaman and this little girl, that we can have great humility and great courage. And so we come to you, Lord Jesus, and we look to the one that she points to, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who paid that ultimate price of usefulness for our salvation, which is entirely by your grace, and we receive it for ourselves once again. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we go out from here this week, that we would be people with great changed minds, wonderfully radically generous people, humble, centering all of our lives upon you. And because we have such humility, we would, we would be useful for you, forgiving people who've hurt us. And that, Lord, we would have the courage to identify ourselves as your followers. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.